0: Great are you, it's your breath Sing this to him.
1: Seven yeah, says, God here.
2: reigns over all the yeah. nations, yeah. for he is seated on yeah. his holy throne. For the kings of the earth belong to God, and he is greatly exalted. You reign yeah, there in he all is.
3: scripture and just investigate our hearts before we begin to worship. And uh, I got to be honest with you this this morning, I really uh, struggle because I want to make sure that our hearts are right to be here, all right? Uh, We're here to worship Christ. There's a passage that for our leadership team has been a central passage all of the years that I've been here, Uh, and it's one that, that highlights not only what our calling is, but what our attitude is to be towards each other. And I'll I'll tell you why I want us to think about this, but I do want you for a moment right now to pause whatever it is you're focused on, whatever thoughts uh, you know might be taking you away from worship, and I want you to listen to these words, and I'm going to ask you to do something this morning before we get started. I'm gonna ask you before God to answer how, how, Lord, how would you have me answer these words? It says this in Ephesians four, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace there is one body one spirit just as you were called to one hope at your calling one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is above all and through all and in all pretty simple what he's trying to get to here right Unity of the Spirit, why? Because even if you go someplace else that calls itself a place of believers, you still have one God, one faith, one baptism. you got to get it right with God's family, don't you? It says, Therefore, I say this, verse 17, and testify with the Lord that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thoughts, They're darkened in their understanding. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. There are those, even within the church, who will say, you know what? I know what God says, but I don't want to hear what he says because it doesn't line up with what I want to say. And he says, stop it. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught about him as the truth is in Jesus. Take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Therefore, verse 25 putting away lying, speak the truth each one to his neighbor, because we're members of one another. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he's to do honest work with his hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. By the way, the the attitude there is, if you have a problem where you do not line up with what God says you should do, do the complete opposite and begin to serve others. It's an antidote for selfishness. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. Do not grieve God's Holy Spirit, you who were sealed with him for the day of redemption. And here's how he sums it up Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. Be kind. And compassionate to one another forgiving one another just as God forgave you in Christ Jesus therefore be imitators of God my as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us why would I read to you this with such emphasis this morning I've struggled this last couple of weeks and I just want you to hear this We've had all these battles about government and masks and attitudes and name calling and issues. Folks, I honestly believe we need to have strong opinions about what's happening in the world, amen? But we need to quit attacking each other. You've gotta stop. This church right here, we have prayed because we've watched things that looked a lot like stuff that happens in Acts. People giving up their stuff, going out on the streets, people that are getting saved out of darkness. We're watching people get transformed, and the enemy would love to turn that off, and you know how he does that? He gets you focused on yourself, and you bite, and you devour, and selfishly, you will run against God. You'll be about his ways after you're satisfied that's not how scripture works we had some folks that were in the hospital and this was the part that that was hard for me when i announced hey somebody is in the hospital i had two different responses that were heartbreaking one responded to me well you know they had underlying conditions Is that the response of a believer yielded to the spirit, or is that the response of somebody who is focused on their ideology? Another response was, well, I wonder if they believe in COVID now. Opposite side, same heart. Now, here's what I want you to investigate. I don't want you to think about the person who that might have been. I want you to look into your own heart and say, has there been a moment where my ideology has gotten in front of my Christianity? Let's just bow our heads right now at the beginning of this service because we've come here to worship God, and God does not want that in the church. Amen? With one heart, we need to look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, Whatever it takes to live out grace and the gospel and to serve and to bless, I will do that. I'll be a part of that. That does not mean that you don't have your own mind. It doesn't mean that you look around the world and just forget what's happening. It does mean that when we're here, we're worshiping the Lord, we're serving others, we're laying down our life just as was patterned for us by Christ. That's the plea of Scripture. Find me a verse that would contradict that. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and I'm going to ask you to consider just this. In your own heart, did those verses confront you? Confess it. Before the Lord, if you have been on the side of ideology instead of your faith, if if you haven't been looking at Christ first, confess that to him. Make a pledge in your heart. Say, Lord, no longer. Help me to serve. Help me to bless. Help me to worship. Father, we uh, this morning are starting in a very heavy place, but a needed one. Our entire world right now is filled with confusion and anger and irritation, flipping from one opinion to another. Very few things that we hear can we trust it's overwhelming it's irritating father but it does not constrain us we are committed to you and so we ask that this morning that you would fill us by your spirit by your grace we ask that you would fill us with a, a sense first of repentance if there is somebody father who we have offended give us the kind of character that would go. As this passage says, go and repent. And I pray also, Father, if somebody comes to us, that we would be eager to forgive. This is how the church is different from the world. Help us to actually yield to your thoughts and your ways rather than the world's. Help us to be different. Father, right now, I pray that if there is something that you have pushed on in our heart, that we would, first of all, take it to you, but then we would believe that we are forgiven. You right now will cleanse us from that. As we worship, uh, we worship clean because we've given that to you. Father, enable it, I ask. Help us to worship with one heart, one church. Father, help us to love you without looking to the side, to the right or the left, and worrying about what another believes. Let us just focus our faith and our heart on you. We pray that you would help us in repentance to serve. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
2: I thought it might be appropriate first to sing I surrender all to Jesus, I surrender the saints of take your seat we're going to invite pastor pete forward this time
4: well we are so glad to have you here this morning if you're a first-time guest thank you so much for coming this morning and worshiping with us Um, if you're visiting online we're just so thankful for you to be uh, with us this morning from your home or wherever you're at and Uh, This morning, I just wanted to take a quick minute to just update you on another ministry opportunity each Sunday in the month of May. We've been highlighting some of our ministry partners who we've worked with for many, many years. And so a few weeks ago, we were able to highlight uh, the Hope Pregnancy Center, and we've been doing the Baby Bottle Boomerang. So hopefully your baby bottles are filling up with change, and you're going to be bringing those back on Father's Day weekend. Uh, But this Sunday morning, we are highlighting Compassion International. And real quick, for those of us in the room here, would you raise your hand if at one point you have sponsored a Compassion Child? That's a lot of people all throughout the room. Compassion International is a missions organization that's designed to help free kids from poverty, but it's a Christ-centered, church-based ministry, and that's why we love to partner with it. Every single dollar that's given in sponsorship for a child goes directly to helping that child not just be able to meet their physical needs currently, but to give them health care and education to train them up so that they don't have to live in that poverty cycle where they're living. Um, It gives them the opportunity to hear about Christ in the church. Uh, Every compassion center around the world is partnered with a church, and that means that at least four to eight hours a week, Those churches have activities where kids from those communities come in and not only are cared for and loved, but hear about Jesus. That's why we believe in it, because the churches are already in that community. So rather than sending a team there, we're going to support those who are there who care about those people and provide a way for them to reach into the darkness and the hopelessness of poverty and be able to help them, show them Christ, uh, lead them to the Lord, Lord willing, and then help them be be able to provide for their families. And so this morning, out in the tables, uh, out of our main entrance, just out this door, uh, there are a number of kids. Now, for the uh, the last several times we've done this, we've highlighted kids from an area of Guatemala where we actually have sent mission teams. We've gone there multiple times and visited the Compassion Center, and so many of our Salem Heights people got to actually meet the kids that they sponsored through Compassion, which is a pretty unique thing. And so this morning, we have more kids from that area who are looking for sponsorship. And so for $38 a month, you can help a child be able to not only eat, receive medical care, but also be educated and be able to be learning life skills that will help them be able to get a job and be able to provide for their families for years to come. I know some of you have been asking me, when is Compassion Sunday? Because some of you sponsored a child who's now moving on. Uh, Because the program lasts all the way through the the adult years. So they believe in comprehensive care, but then they age out of the program. And so maybe it's time for you to consider sponsoring another child. Maybe for, the, maybe for some of you, you haven't ever sponsored a compassionate child and want to know more about what that is. We're going to have some people out at the tables afterwards who can tell you a little bit more. There's pictures of the kids. You can pick up a packet, and today you can sponsor, start sponsoring a child for $38 a month. We believe in Compassion. We think it's a great ministry, Uh, It has high integrity, which is super important in today's age that if we're gonna give our money to help and do ministry, we wanna make sure that money's going to ministry and not into the people who are doing the ministry, but actually to meeting the needs. And Compassion has an excellent track record of integrity. So we wanna highlight that for you. We're we're excited for those who uh, potentially will consider doing that this morning. And we are hoping to visit that area of Guatemala again in the coming years when it becomes easier for us to travel internationally and go back down there and continue to pour into that area where we're seeing not only uh, kids being set free from poverty, but the Lord and the gospel is going out and kids are getting saved and telling that to their families who are also getting saved. So it's a really great opportunity that we wanted to highlight for you this morning. Thank you so much for listening. Let's return back to worship.
0: wonderful And isn't the name of Jesus wonderful And all the world can come to him and have their sins removed And isn't the name of Jesus wonderful I love her. every breath. that commitment today. Thank you, and pure and holy to right and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a sanctuary, pure and holy, to right and true.
2: today is to make our will his will make his thoughts our thoughts
0: so take my
2: do invite you to come and have your way within us. God, I would pray that we would be open and moldable to who you want us to be and to the way that you want us to think. We are those that are not our own, we are purchased with blood, the blood of your son, Jesus. So I pray that you would minds we know that we are walking um, a path and we have not arrived until we are in heaven to completely understand all that is happening around us but one thing we do know is you want us to look to you in all things you want our opinions to align with your opinions not the other way around so we would pray that that would happen today i pray that you would um, do whatever it is that you need to do within each of us god we would pray that you speak through your word now because we know that it does not come back void in fact it says it it, it, it will sharpen us, it will guide us, um, it will help us to know how to live. So I would pray that that would happen now. We're so thankful that you love us and care about us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well,
4: good morning, church. It is so good to be with you this morning. And if you're a guest, again, just welcome uh, to Salem Heights. Uh, you picked a good morning to be here uh, because the worship has been sweet. Were you guys blessed by that worship time? Man. I love some of those older songs when we get to pull those out and sing them again. There's a lot of great memories tied to those songs. Well, hey, this morning we're going to be continuing in the book of Acts. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to grab it and find your way to Acts chapter 26. We are nearing the end of this series. And in Acts chapter 21 through 26, we actually see one long account. And so this morning what we're going to try to do is we're going to... Uh, look at kind of some thoughts from those chapters and we're going to focus kind of on the last chapter of that section, Acts chapter 26 for our text this morning. But it's kind of amazing to me, I was just thinking about this past week that uh, in here just a few weeks it'll be six years that I was, uh, since I've been invited to be part of this staff and uh, came here back from Idaho after had attending Salem Heights for many, many years and I was so thrilled to join the staff, and er, pretty early on, uh, Pastor Justin gave me an opportunity to preach, uh, just to kind of introduce myself, and then he gave me another week, and then another week. I've I've been able to have opportunities to preach, and and I love doing that. I love being able to stand before you as, as God's mouthpiece, and that's my heart's desire again this morning. One of the first things that he and Pastor Matt told me as they were preparing me for that very first sermon was preach the word, preach the word, I hope you're thankful for a church that preaches the word, uh, yeah, you can applaud that, so you can't see my notes, but every, every time I preach uh, on the very top underneath the title of the message, I have preach the word, sufficient, qualified, and timely, you know, there are certain things that we as pastors get to talk about during the week and certain things that we can kind of sense as we're watching you. You are the sheep. We are the under shepherds. I mean, we're under the great shepherd being Christ, and we get the opportunity to lead you. And, and that opportunity is a sacred trust because you entrust yourselves to us as your pastors. We have no right over you. We're just called by God to faithfully serve those who would come in on a Sunday and participate a part of this local body. But as we talk about uh, different things and current events and we look out amongst our sheep, there are certain times in church life where certain things start to kind of well up where we feel like we need to speak to this, we need to talk about this. And sometimes that will cause us to step out of our sermon series and we will pick a topic and we'll find a passage of scripture that really speaks to that topic and let the word of God teach us on that topic. But there are other times where many, many months in the past, when a passage was selected to be preached on on that Sunday, it's amazing to see how the text for that morning was already sovereignly and providentially provided to address something that we were going to sense at that time. Back when this text was selected, we didn't have any idea what was going to be going on. We weren't going to know the latest current events. We weren't going to know what was going to be said, and we weren't going to know what we were going to be perceiving in you, our our church family. And so this morning, I think this text and what Paul does here in this section of verses, Acts 21, the second half of Acts 21 through 26, uh, is really fitting. It's really fitting to where we're at. It's challenged my heart. I hope it will challenge yours as well. I want to ask you guys a question. We're a little, a little interactive. This is different for Salem Heights, but it's okay. okay? <laughs> what is the mission of the church, to make disciples through the message of the church, which I heard some of you say, which is the gospel. I want to make sure that we're all clear on that. The mission of the church, not just Salem Heights Church, but every church that comes underneath the cross and the resurrection, their mission, why God has left us here, not just taken us to heaven already, is to make more disciples. And we make disciples by the clear presentation of the gospel message. So the mission of the church is making disciples. The message of the church is the gospel. But I want you to hear this. We cannot fulfill our mission if our message gets muddy. Amen. We cannot fulfill our mission if our message gets muddy. What does it mean for something to get muddy? Well, it's when it becomes clouded. It becomes a little bit uh, out of focus. So what makes the message of the gospel muddy? My personal opinions can impact how I view the gospel, and it can compete with the message of the gospel my word and actions can live in opposition to what I say I believe, and yet something how I'm carrying out, my life is different. And that muddies the message because those who are supposed to hear this message look at my life and they go, something here doesn't equate. Selfish behavior can muddy the message of the gospel. And so in Acts chapter 21 through 26, we are reminded of how important this message is. In chapter 21, and I'm going to give you guys a little bit of homework this morning, I would love for you to take time this week and read Acts chapter 21 through 26, because it's one long story. Instead of trying to break it up, we're just going to kind of teach. I'm going to kind of set the story for you, and then we're going to focus on the last chapter of this account. But in chapter 21, Paul has returned to Jerusalem, bringing charitable gifts and offerings that he had collected from other churches in his missionary journey to come back and give to the poor in Jerusalem. But within a couple of days, Paul is seized. It says a group of Jews from another part of the world saw Paul there, and they went and they grabbed him, and they dragged him out of the city, intending to kill him. Now Rome, who's in charge sees it and hears this chaos kind of starting to erupt. And so the the Roman officials come in and they break up the chaos and they arrest Paul and put him in chains, assuming guilt before finding out if he's actually guilty or not. These people hated Paul, but they hated his message more. The same is true for you and I. Followers of Christ... Will be to fade, but it's it's really the message that we stand for, that we build our lives on, is the thing that those opposed from Christ really hate. But I want you to listen to what happened to Paul. He was unjustly abused, he was wrongly accused of being a troublemaker. He said he's a plague to our, our city. They accused him of being an agitator. For one, kind of stirring up riots, trying to get people all frenzied. They, they call him a ringleader of a rebellious sect. And they accused him of trying to desecrate the temple. But these accusations weren't true. In fact, in Acts 24, these Jewish people hire a lawyer to come in and try to persuade one of the judges that Paul was standing before... And they were trying to use specific words and articulate the certain accusations in a certain way to get the Roman official to just kill Paul and take care of it for him and for that group. But Paul's reputation preceded him. See, this group of people tried to malign his reputation. They tried to misrepresent his message and they definitely mistreated his body, yet in these brief moments that Paul was given, these, these brief moments that we would see in chapters 21 through 26, that Paul has to stand before his accusers and to stand before those who will judge whether or not he will be set free or punished by possibly even death, Paul takes those moments to deliver a clear Message. In fact, every time it got harder and he was sent to the next judge, who was a higher ruling judge, who had more authority, his message got even clearer. It got more refined. It got more concise. He got to the point right away. And that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. Typically, we stand as we read, but this morning I want us to read all of chapter 26, which is a little lengthy. I timed it out. It should take me about three and a half minutes to read it to you this morning. But we're going to read all of chapter 26, and I want you to follow along and remain seated as we kind of see Paul's attitude Is now he's standing against, again, in front of a King Agrippa to give a defense to these false accusations. And I want you just to listen and ask the Lord to give you understanding of what, what he wants us to pull away from Paul's testimony here. So we're going to read Acts 26. If you're ready, say Ready. This is the word of the Lord. Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially since you are very knowledgeable about all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own people and in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand on trial because of the hope in what God promised to our ancestors, the promise our 12 tribes hope to reach as they earnestly serve him day and night. King Agrippa, I am being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Why do any of you consider it incredible that God raises from the dead? In fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem, and I locked up many of the saints in prison, since I had received authority from that from the, the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. Since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities." As I was traveling Damascus under these circumstances, the authority, with authority, and the commission from the chief priest, King Agrippa, while on the road at midday, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first and to those in Jerusalem and all the region of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and were trying to kill me. To this very day, I've had help from God. And I stand and testify to both small and great, saying nothing other than what the prophets and Moses said would take place that the messiah must suffer and that he must first rise from the dead he would proclaim light to our people and to the gentiles as he was saying these things in his defense festus exclaimed in a loud voice you are out of your mind paul too much studying is driving you mad but paul replied i'm not out of my mind most excellent festus On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment, for the king knows about these matters, and I can speak boldly to him, for I'm convinced that none of these things has escaped his notice, since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you But all who listen to me today might become as I am, except for these chains. Is that your desire for the lost too? I hope it is. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray in these next few moments we would understand the importance of a clear message, a clear presentation of the gospel, that we would see that that is our mission and that would be our primary focus every day you leave us here and don't take us to be with you. God, I pray that you would use your Holy Spirit to help us understand what it is you want us to see this morning. I pray this in your Son's holy name. Amen. I just want to highlight four observations I see from Paul's testimony here and in this section of verses, Acts chapter 21 through 26, because I think it's important that our message is clear in order for us to fulfill our mission to make disciples. And that is the same mission that we today have. Every one of us in this room who claims faith in Christ, you are an ambassador. You are called to proclaim that gospel, to make disciples that make disciples. The first thing that you will notice if you take time to read this week through all five chapters is you will see that Paul's consistency resulted in clarity. In chapter 22, 23, 24, and 26, Paul shares his testimony, but it's not until this one that we just read that Paul puts all the pieces together. Uh, earlier on, Paul had this opportunity to start giving a defense to a lower official, and he only got through the part of his personal testimony in that story of his conversion on the road to Damascus. And then the crowd started getting angry, and, and they started yelling, and everything went crazy. There were a couple other times where he had the opportunity to start sharing towards the specific accusations that Paul had come to Jerusalem to, like, get a bunch of people stirred up to revolt against Rome and to, uh, you know, kind of uh, ruin the temple and to just cause trouble. And he spoke to that. But here in chapter 26, Paul lays out his complete testimony. And that's because that was his message. Sometimes he didn't get the full opportunity to share it, but every time he got the opportunity, it became clearer and clearer and clearer. I need to get to this point faster. I need to make it more about Christ. Maybe I can can read the room and maybe say this here. But whether or not he was going to get the full opportunity to share everything he knew about Christ and everything that he wanted so desperately to impart to them so that they too could have a relationship with Christ like he had, Paul knew exactly where he was going to start, and he knew that whenever he had the opportunity to interact with another person, they were going to hear about Jesus. Some of you know Paul's, his testimony that we see in some of the other letters that he wrote, where he's in prison, and he's like, Hey, I'm in prison, but don't fret, because this just gives me a captive audience, because I have people that are forced to watch me every day, and they're going to hate having Paul duty, because all they're going to hear about is Jesus, now, maybe if, if that was your reputation, you would actually try to change it because you would think that would be weird. I don't want people to look at me as a, as a person who's consumed with Jesus. Oh, may it never be. I, I want to be more of that. His consistency resulted in clarity. Paul never deviated from the message given to him by the Lord. He said the same things with the same goal. And his consistency was built upon a constant. I want you to hear that again. The consistency of Paul's message was built upon a constant. How often do our opinions and our message get swayed by different things that come in that actually change from one moment to the next? I mean, this last 16, 17 months has been constant change, everything's changed. Whether you think nothing's changed, it's all changed, because even the the opinion of what has not changed has changed. (laughs) Everything is changed, and so we can stake our foundation and build our case and defend our life and defend our opinions based on what we think is the most constant, unshakable foundation. And tomorrow something will happen; it changes it all. Unless you're talking about Jesus, it is it will never change. Everything else is going to fall apart. Everything else is going to go away. Everything else is going to go up and down, up and down. But Jesus never changes. His word never fails. And Paul started there and he ended there because the constant of the gospel gave him consistency in the message and allowed him to fulfill his call to make disciples and to proclaim a clear message. We need to hear that. Paul was prayerful, He was considerate, and he was deliberate. We don't read in chapter 26, I mean, he's talking so respectfully to these these, uh, officials who have been accusing him wrongly and treating him harshly, and he keeps showing them respect. Did you catch that? I'm so thankful that I have an opportunity to speak before you, King Agrippa. Agrippa wasn't a good guy. If you look at chapter 24 in Felix, he was an even worse guy. And yet, all the time, Paul is showing respect and honor because he didn't want the, the personal offense and the things that had been happening to him unjustly to get in the way of his mission, which is presenting a clear gospel to a lost people who, without that faith in that gospel, have, are sent to an eternity apart from Christ. That is what he was focused on. His consistency resulted in clarity. But there's a second thing I want us to see is that his character gave him credibility. His character gave him credibility. Paul says here, all the Jews in verse 4, chapter 26, if you want to look there with me, says, all the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own people in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of the religion, I, I lived as a Pharisee. Paul's saying, my life is not like, I'm not a new guy on the scene. People know who I am, and whether it was before I got saved or after I got saved, one thing is always true. I am who I say I am, and I do what I say I do. I'm committed to what I think is truth. Before, I was confused. Now I'm not. And so my character gave me credibility. Paul was the same over. If you you read through these five chapters, he was the same guy, even though he's being, I mean, at one point, they were going to scourge him to try to get information out of him. And the way that the text kind of reads, it's like, he's like, oh, just before you start, is it proper for you to do this to a Roman? It's like, and they, everything comes to a screeching halt. But there is this just consistency in his character. I think his character of being a guy who was com- completely committed to the gospel, who said the same things, no matter who the audience was, no matter what was at risk, no matter what was on the line, gave him credibility that when he spoke, People listen and we're willing to give him that opportunity in that audience. Do you know that there are some Christians in the world right now who have lost their complete audience because what they say is not in relation to a character that is trustworthy? We say we have the greatest message that you need to hear, and yet our character and our lives and our opinions have clouded it and made it muddy so that people go, I can't trust that. You're no different than everything else I see in the world right now. What was it about Paul's life that when he had these audiences, people stopped and they listened? I believe it was the character that was consistent all along. This is who I am, this is what I'm about, and it's about Jesus. His character gave him credibility. The third thing that we see from his testimony is that his confidence was rooted in Christ. His confidence was rooted in Christ. Later on in chapter 26, he talks about how he did not, in verse 19, I was not disobedient to this heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first, and then Jerusalem, and Judea, and the Gentiles. You know what he's saying there? I fulfilled what Jesus told us to do back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That you will be my disciples, and that when the Holy Spirit comes, you will go, and you will take that message to the ends of the earth. And Paul said, I am faithful to that. And it's caused me great hardship. He goes on to say here, For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and were trying to kill me because I was faithful to what God said. I was giving the truth even when it was unpopular. But look what he says in verse 22. To this very day, I've had help from God. Back in chapter 23, it says at one point... Paul was uh, being arrested and harassed, and they had taken him back to the barracks. And in in chapter 23, verse 11, uh, Luke records that the Lord actually appeared to Paul and was with him and was comforting him, saying, this is all part of my plan. I've got you. You know why Paul's message was clear? It's because his confidence didn't come in his own intellect or what he had read or what he had thought or what he had deduced from his cultural musings. No, he was confident because... The answer is Jesus. The message of the cross is relevant. It's qualified. It's timely. It's sufficient. And so I can can be confident in my position. Even though you're threatening to take away my rights, you're threatening to take away my life, I'm confident. Because Jesus has helped me the whole time. He He is the thing that can actually follow through on what he says he's going to do. He is the one. And so his confidence was rooted in Christ. And I believe that we, we see that as we read through this chapter 26. We sense the settledness in Paul's soul. He doesn't seem super high or agitated or angry. He just seems like, let me tell you the truth. Because my desire is that you have this same relationship that I have with Christ. The last observation that I think stands out here is that Paul's primary concern Remained for the lost, not himself. See, Paul sees every opportunity and every opposition. Every moment of opposition is an opportunity to tell someone about the gospel. Verse twenty-four, Festus kind of rejects what Paul is saying and says, "You're out of your mind, Paul. All this stuff you've been studying has actually just made you crazy." And Paul says, "I'm not. I'm not crazy." In fact, all the things I'm saying were done in public. I'm not the only one who's seen this and has believed. And even I think King Agrippa has known about this, and he probably believes. Agrippa's quick to kind of, whoa, 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 Paul, pump the brakes there a little bit. But what does Paul say? Verse 29, I wish before God that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but all who listen to me today, might become as I am except for these chains. Paul could have said, I am a Roman, I am a Jew, I'm unjustly, my rights have been taken away, I've been treated unjustly, this is not right, I want people held accountable, I want these people to come here right now and give a defense for why they did this to me unjustly, he doesn't do any of that. Because his concern was not about his own self and his own rights, it was about those who were lost. And if God has chosen for me to be oppressed and be put in this position, then this is the position where he wants me to continue to stay on mission and deliver that clear message of the gospel. So you see, that the whole book of Acts is a story of a movement, starting in Jerusalem, and then as the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and fills believer, leads outside of Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. It's a movement of the gospel going forth from Jerusalem to everyone else. And that movement requires a clear message. And it's a message that's been under attack since the day of Christ's resurrection. And it will continue to be on attack, but it's still the mission. And it's still the message. So Paul provides a great example for how you and I should live in order for the clarity of the gospel to not be muddied by our life. We need to be consistent in what we say. Our character needs to give us credibility. We need to make sure that our confidence is in Christ and Christ alone, nothing else. And we need to make sure that our primary concern is for the lost and not for ourselves. So how do we apply this? I just want to give us a few things and then we'll pray. Our complicated and confused world needs the clarity and confidence found only in the gospel. Our world right now is confused, but it is complicated. The gospel is not complicated. But you know why I think that sometimes we as Christians fail to apply the gospel to every situation? It's because we, we actually haven't struggled through and wrestled through how do you apply the gospel to every situation. Because you don't just speak it at the situation and the situation like disappears. So how does the gospel inform me? We don't have time to do it this morning, but in Acts 24, when Paul is talking to Felix, Felix kind of pushes off a judgment, and it says for two years, Paul is on house arrest, but Felix keeps calling Paul to come in and talk with him. Now, it reveals that Felix's motivation was that Paul would perhaps pay him a bribe to get out of the situation, but Paul didn't do that. Paul took it as two years' worth of opportunity to share the gospel with an official And it says that he continued to talk to Felix about what it means to have faith in Christ. And there were three things that Paul continued to highlight that I believe is the application of the gospel to life. You can read about it in Acts chapter 24. I hope you will. But these are the three things that Paul kept hitting on to Felix for two years. And it says that Felix got so convicted, he just sent Paul away and said, I will let you know when I want to talk to you again. Righteousness. You know what the gospel looks like applied to your life? It means that your righteousness, your, your self-standing of like being right and good and like successful isn't based on your works or your intellect. It's built completely upon Christ. It doesn't matter how many arguments you've won, how many papers you've written, how many letters are after your name on your email signature. All that matters is Christ. And that Christ's righteousness is, is the righteousness that we live in. I don't know if I'm right. I don't know if I'm wrong. I, don't, I definitely know I'm not perfect, but I know the one who is perfect, and I'm in him. And so my righteousness is going to be to pursue him. Felix, this is what it means to have faith in Christ. Your righteousness is not your own. Lord, would you rob out of Pete Potloff self-righteousness? Would you continue to sanctify me and tear it out? Because I want to be in Christ. Second thing he talked about, self control. Think about that. Out of all of the qualities that are produced by the Spirit, he highlights self control. Felix, this is what it looks like to apply the gospel to your life. Your life will be known as someone who has self control. Self control. That is not a work produced by the flesh. That is a work only produced consistently by the Spirit. And he says, if you are applying the gospel to your life, Felix, if you have faith in Christ, you're going to be known as someone who is in control. But it almost should be called spirit control, right? Is your life marked by self-control? If it is, it's not because of your grit and determination. It's not your years on this planet. It's only because you have yielded to the Spirit of God and applied the gospel to your life. Lord, would you make Pete Potloff so subtle that it's impossible for people not to see your spirit control in my life. And then the third thing he kept talking about, gospel applied, is the judgment to come. Dun, dun, dun. Why would would faith in Christ be tied so closely to the judgment to come? Because this is what I believe. I believe that he's saying, Felix, I'm being treated unjustly. This is not right. But I don't have to worry about the outcome. Felix, you need to worry about the outcome. Because without faith in Christ, you are doomed to spend eternity apart from God. But for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me, if, I, if all my rights are taken, if they take my actual life, I'm in the presence of my Savior forever. And you know what? All those people who had done me wrong, all those people who were fools, the judgment to come, God is the God of justice. He's going to right every wrong. Everyone who needs to be held accountable will be held accountable because God is righteous. I don't need to worry about that. I think these three qualities that he highlights in Acts 24 are the application of the gospel to our lives and why it allows us to have a clear message and to fulfill our clear mission as believers. Our complicated and confused world needs the clarity and confidence found only in the gospel. And so your character will impact your credibility. I'm just going to lay that out there in the room for us this morning. How you live your life will impact how people listen to your message and i know right now in our world we all are starting to maybe get influenced to kind of think that the loudest voice wins three words won it john 19:30 it is finished uttered from the cross those words win last thing our concern must be greater for others than ourselves Paul could have used legality to get out of his, his personal circumstances, but yet those rulers were lost, and Paul had their attention. And so my last question for us this morning is this. What if the people in your life that make life so challenging are the very ones God has placed in your path to serve, share with, and sacrifice for. What if? Church, there's a lot that we can make our message about today. The word of God has given us our marching orders. We have one mission, to make disciples, and the only way to do that is through a clear Message of the gospel. The gospel is for you and for me. The gospel is the message we are sent to proclaim, and the gospel is the only hope for our complicated and confused world. I hope you will consider that this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for Paul and I thank you for the book of Acts and not only the story of the gospel being sent forth to all parts of the world. God, we are all beneficiaries of that mission. We're beneficiaries of that message because we're a long ways geographically from Jerusalem, yet here in Salem, Oregon today, we can proclaim that truth, and people still today can believe it and be saved. God, thank you for doing that. But God, I just pray for our church. I pray for each one of us. This is a confusing time. It's complicated. And yet there is a settledness that comes to our souls when we just let your word speak for itself, when we let it direct our steps, when we let it inform our opinions. So God, I pray that we would be prayerful. I pray in these days we would be considerate. And God, I pray that we'd be deliberate to fulfill the mission you gave us and to live a life that clearly proclaims the message of the gospel. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray this all in your son's beautiful name. Amen. We love you so much, Salem Heights. We're so thankful for you. We're thankful for all our guests who are being here today. We've got some discussion questions up here. They're also on the notes. So we hope that you guys will take some time this week to talk through these things and continue to be proclaimers of that clear message of the gospel. Have a great week.
0: Sing, I believe. I believe. Thing. worthy is the king Till I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. And all my life, You have been faithful. And all my good And all my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good Tell with every breath that I am able And I will sing of the goodness of God This I'm gonna sing So far. by the past. A prayer is yes, God, you are good. God, you are good, and God, you are good. Is yes, God, you're so good? Is yes, your so. ¡Gracias!
3: Well good morning folks. Glad to be here? Are you aware that you're in church? Yeah, all right there we go. I know uh, we're getting started We'll have people drifting in uh, second service normally about eleven fifteen you're all here so um, I did want to start uh, this morning with a thought, and it's something that's actually been weighing uh, heavy on my heart so I want us to I want us to think about something that Scripture says, uh, and I pray that it will help us kind of tune our hearts to make sure that we are about worship. There's been a lot of uh, stuff that's going on in the world outside, and so this may feel a little bit like we're starting with a deep dive. Uh, If it feels like it's pointed or uh, intense, um, if it's a reframing of your thoughts, then I've actually hit the right chord. I want you to hear this. And I want us as